Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman. And I'm Rachel Yehuda. And we're both from YCT Rabbinical School. And in each episode, we explore an aspect of psychology based on the Torah reading of the week. Now we are towards the end of the book of Exodus, and we're in the portion called Kitisa. And that's chapters 30, verse 11, through chapter 34. We've just finished two portions that have very detailed descriptions of how to build the sacred tabernacle and ritual garments. And the text abruptly switches to one of the most dramatic episodes of the Bible, the story of the golden calf. So I'm reading now from verse 32. And the people saw that Moses was delaying to come down from the mountain. And the people assembled at Aaron and said to him, Get up, make gods for us who will go in front of us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are in your wives, your sons, and your daughters' ears and bring them to me. And all the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took them from their hand and fashioned it with a stylus and made a golden calf. There's so many questions about this story. When the children of Israel asked, where's Moses? We don't know what happened to him. Why didn't Aaron explain? It seems that there was a kind of frenetic mob reaction of massive anxiety and a kind of hysterical chaos. But what do you think they were anxious about? I mean, they're basically saying, we don't know what happened to Moses who led us out of Egypt. And uh, clearly they need to have a new God because the golden calf seems to be a replacement for Moses, not God, because it says Moses, the guy that took us out of Egypt, uh, he's not here, who will lead us? Right, and these are people who are used to following some kind of taskmaster, some sort of foreman. After all, they are very, very recently slaves, and they've been slaves for generations. So to have a delay in this leader who has wrought miracles and saved them, and brought them into a very scary wilderness where they don't know what's happening next, is terrifying. Their security, their sense of order, their sense of just knowing what's going to happen next hangs by a thread, and that thread has snapped. Well, maybe there was a lot of anxiety about a human leader. I mean, they're being introduced to this divine God. They're, they're having the revelation at Sinai, and that is a terrifying God, and Moses is the intermediary. And now if Moses isn't going to be here, who will they have? And I think we can also talk about Aaron's anxiety because he seems to have capitulated extremely quickly. It doesn't seem like he pauses just going with the words of the text or tries to explain to the people or to placate them or to get them to hold on. It seems that he too is caught up, infected by this massive anxiety of the unknown. I wonder about Aaron because there could have been an opportunity for him to explain where Moses was. Is it possible that he didn't know or that he himself was anxious that something had happened to Moses? Right. It could have been a teaching moment, so to speak, or a moment of potential growth, maybe a moment even of 
expanding leadership. And that doesn't happen at all. It feels like a scene of complete panic. What do you think would have allayed their anxiety other than swinging into action? Do you think that there could have been an answer to that question of where is Moses? We don't know what happened to him. I actually don't know if there could have been. And what's also so striking is that Moses himself gets caught up in his own anxiety. Because later on in the text, we see that Moses has to placate God, who is angry about the people betraying God's promise. God says to Moses, uh, in verse 32, 7, go, go down, because your people, who you've brought up from the land of Egypt, has corrupted. And God explains the whole thing about how they've made a calf, and how he, uh, an idol, and how God is sick of these people, and he, how God is just going to destroy them, and Moses only is going to carry on the covenant. And at this point, Moses has to placate God's seeming anxiety. Yes, Moses is placating God and telling God not to be so angry. But then when Moses sees for himself what's going on, he becomes enraged. Exactly. So there's a whole section where Moses is trying to be conciliatory, is telling God what are the rest of the, the nations of the world going to think? Um, why did you bring us out here? Remember the patriarchs. Moses brings out in kind of true, sort of leaderly, mediating, conciliatory, the kind of thing we see when kind of good mediators, good therapists, good judges, whatever it is, try to calm things down. We have this in this anthropomorphic type of section, Moses trying to calm God down. And, it, and the text says, and God relented. And now Moses is taking the tablets and he's going down the mountain himself. And all of a sudden, the whole picture changes. Because as Moses, and this is in verse 32, 19, and it was when he came close to the camp and he saw the calf and dancing, and Moses' anger flared, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them below the mountain. What do you think Moses saw that got him so angry? And why do you think he got so angry when he saw it for himself? I think that's exactly it. when God told him. Right, and that's something we see all the time clinically that the difference between hearing something and then seeing it can really be remarkable. I think that that's really a very important distinction. And so I also, when somebody gets really angry, the first task is to try to calm them down and not even deal with why they're angry. So upon seeing God's wrath, maybe the only thing Moses could think about was how to make God less angry and then deal later with what it was that was making God angry. Right, and then when he, Moses, confronts the scene of this disarray, this disorder, this betrayal of everything that he has given his whole life for, he has nothing left. He just completely flares up and, and, and acts out physically. He has no words, he only has action. He breaks the tablets. So Moses saw that the people got out of control, but there was no one there to placate him as he had placated God. Right, and a few weeks ago, we talked about the powerful relationship between Moses' father-in-law, Yitro, and Moses. And Yitro is actually the only character 
human character in the Bible who takes care of Moses. Now, as you said, Moses has just worked extremely hard to placate God. It's almost unimaginable right. that this human uh, placates the divine and the 13 attributes of mercy are actually recited here. That's right. And nobody is there to calm Moses down. So Who must be shaking from this encounter with God who says, I'm going to wipe everybody out and it's just going to be you. And Moses says, no, it's got to be the whole people or nothing. I guess we can learn a few things from here. Acting impulsively, if it's motivated by anxiety or anger, could be a recipe for chaos. Um, we learn that it's easier to calm someone down when they're angry, but it's much more difficult to calm oneself down. Waiting a day can make a really big difference in converting anger to understanding. And once you have understanding, you can begin to see where some of the gaps are and what you need to do next. And also what we see is the need for Moses to repair the gap, the tremendous gulf that he feels between himself and that with whom he is most intimate, God. So it's only later, after all the action has calmed down a bit, that Moses can recognize that he needs to repair this relationship. And so we have in verse 33, 12, when Moses pleads so poignantly to God to be close to him again. And Moses says, And you've said, I've known you by name, and also you found favor in my eyes. And now, if I found favor in your eyes, make your way known to me so that I may know you, and so that I'll find favor in your eyes and see that this nation is your people. And then God speaks back to Moses and, and says, Okay. I'll do something. Moses asks, show me your glory. And God says in verse 33, 20, and God said, he won't, you won't be able to see my face because a human will not see me and live. And God said, here is a place with me and you'll stand up on a rock and it will be when my glory passes that I'll set you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover my hand over you until I've passed and I'll turn my hand away and you'll see my back, but my face won't be seen. So here we have this remarkable time of intimacy and repair between Moses and God. And we, after that, in chapter 34, God then goes on to tell Moses to carve the second set of tablets. So we can see that as a repair and going forward. Well, what we see is that there's always a second chance that even if you make a big mistake, you act out of anger, you can go through a process and try it again. 